Good morning and welcome to Children Talks. I'm your host, Tawana Matizanazo, and this morning we're doing a news recap. First up, we have Amy Fernando interviewing Jennifer Heroa, Fields Operations Coordinator, and Shannon Paley, Operations Coordinator at Animal Services Agency, about the impact the pandemic has had on animal shelters in Winnipeg. So just to start, can you briefly describe to me what Animal Services does and kind of what changes more operationally and like services wise that you've seen since the start of the pandemic? Um, well, we are uh, the shelter for the city of Winnipeg. Um, so we have officer units that um, enforce the responsible pet ownership bylaw. Um, we uh, also adopt out um, dogs that are not uh, reclaimed by their owner. Um, we work with a Northern Initiative as well. We have a Northern Initiative where we um, bring in rescues uh, from up north and adopt out awesome. to Winnipeg. Um, we work alongside the Humane Society um, awesome. as well. They are um, they do a lot of clinical work for us for emergencies. Um, they take care of the cats that we're involved with. Awesome. Um, we kind of try to work alongside with them for humane calls. Um, we do the licensing program for the city. Um, we do lots of behavioral work with at-risk or dangerous dogs. Um, so we try to just keep the community safe um, while awesome. having human and animals living in it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and kind of since the pandemic, in terms of more of your operations and, and kind of services, how has that changed? Not much. Has there been change? Okay. There has been some. Um, mm -hmm. Our field operations, um, uh, they're still enforcing the bylaw 100%. Um, we are still attending to all service requests. Um, there's been no change in that. Um, our adoptions uh, have looked a little bit different. Just okay. we're doing more of the interviews over the phone instead of in person. Yeah. Um, and same with uh, returning to owners. So if a stray dog comes in and the owners to pick them up, um, we do all of the the confirming that that's the dog and everything oh, on the phone prior to having that makes them sense. come. Um, our building is open to the public still, so people can come in and renew their license, um, but our kennels are closed to the public. Okay. Um, so you cannot come through and look at the animals right now. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, we're still performing adoptions. Um, awesome. The amount of dogs is a little bit lower. Okay. Uh, but that also could be due to the cold right now. Uh, cold weather usually is a, is a pretty good deterrent. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, our operations haven't been that affected. We were closed. That's great. That's fantastic to hear. What maybe Shannon, we were our door, doors were closed for what maybe two months? Yeah, if if even that long, I think the biggest yeah. impact has probably been to like the either outreach or events and stuff like okay. that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the the only thing I think that's really suffered. That's awesome. That's really great news to hear. Mm -hmm. um, what have adoption rates been like? And what have intake rate rates been like since the pandemic started? How has that changed? Um, I can give you some quick stats. That's amazing. Uh, from 2019 to 2020. Mm -hmm. um, so we're looking at number of dogs adopted. I okay. had, we had 348 in 2019. Okay. And we had 254 in 2020. Perfect. So a little bit of a drop, but we've yeah. also impounded. Um, sorry, I have them here. 
in 2019, we impounded 900 dogs. Okay. And in 2020, it was 758. So okay. the impounds have dropped. So absolutely. Dogs. Yeah. The so numbers of dogs that we have for adoption kind of coincide. Um, Shannon works directly um, with some of the adopters and, mm -hmm. and giving feedback and, and is a little bit closer into the adoption Absolutely. Um, process than I am. So if she has anything to add. Intake, I mean, people are home. Yeah. Um, and monitoring their dogs, keeping an eye on who gets, yes. who gets out of the yard and um, you know, there, there's also more people on the street to help reunite dogs on the street yeah. uh, rather than having us um, attend to pick up the dog. Uh, the adoption part, our, our numbers have been, um, I don't know, I, I think our adoption numbers are a bit of a, an outlier when you look at our intake numbers. Like our, mm -hmm. we're still doing a fair number of adoptions that Absolutely. people are um, a little bit dog crazy. Yeah right now everybody like everybody being home you've got time to adopt you've got time to put in some extra yeah. training um i'd say that one change i i have seen um is it's more first-time dog owners um but there's also uh, a balance there with people who are willing to put in the the training their adopted dog might need because they're going to be home and they can commit that um that time and energy resource it's not just a financial piece but they're willing to put in the time Absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Shannon, I know there was a little chunk of time there when things slowly started reopening that we had quite a bit of returns. Yes. Would you say throughout the year, like like some people are jumping the gun, like, oh, lockdown, get a dog, and then, oh, things are opening up. I don't have time for this anymore. Um, I just know there was a, a certain little chunk of time where we had lots of returns. Yeah. Most of those people don't follow a specific pattern. Okay. Returns seem to be um, people who thought they had the time and energy okay. to um, bring in a, a second or third dog into oh, the I see. relationship yeah. didn't work out very well. Um, there's always going to be people who um, really weren't prepared for the responsibility of a dog and a couple of days or a week goes by and they realize it really is a lot of work. Absolutely. Um, and maybe the, you know, the, the least... Um, subsection of that would be people who, you know, the dog either has training needs or behavior yes, um, absolutely. requirements that they just aren't, um, aren't ready to commit to. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, you got my next question, which was whether you've seen a, a higher rate of return. Okay, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, sure higher. I think the reasons okay. are a little bit different. Okay. Um, because our adopters have been a little bit different. Yes. But he, um, there's always returns. You know, it's right. never a, we don't usually panic about that. Like we okay. want that relationship to be, absolutely. to be perfect and to be forever. Yeah. So the dog gets a chance of finding that. Absolutely. Person. So you'd rather a return yeah. for a quality sure. relationship. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's fantastic. And we always learn a little bit on every return too, right? We, we learn more about the dog and what it's like in home setting. Like yeah. the, the setting they are in here, the dogs can be very different when they're removed from absolutely. the kennel setting. Yeah, that makes um, we always get sense. a little bit more information about the dog so we can find a better fit a better for fit. it next time. Absolutely. That's so nice. Yeah. That's such a good and way to look at that. Better fit for the adopter also. 
yeah some doctors decide that you know when a dog is maybe not the right thing mm -hmm. uh, to do right now and other doctors are like that that fit wasn't a good match um but we have been able to match them up with the dog oh, who's a better fit for their situation that's awesome yeah that's so nice to hear jen's Absolutely. amazing you can include that okay <laughs> 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 that's so nice to hear it's so nice to hear when people really are passionate about animals um, yeah i'd say this isn't your typical dog pound at, yeah and, uh, it's, yeah uh, that's really nice yeah. yeah yeah that's great okay um i think that that's all um do you have any speculations on long-term effects of the pandemic on stray animal populations on pet adoption in general just kind of openly what do you think the future is going to look like COVID's just going to disappear. So just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wishful thinking. Um, I don't know. I, I think summer, I think things will get busier. I think okay. intakes will pick up again, but that's, mm -hmm. that's every summer. That's every, okay. like, that's just the, the timing. Um, I know even getting the complaints that we are receiving, there are far more people out with their dogs, um, than ever before. Um, we we've had requests well from one woman um to shut down assiniboine park because too many dogs are there and that's nobody, really interesting nobody asked her if it was okay that love it their dogs there so love that so much we've had a few you know and on the rivers especially like we we've, we've gotten a lot of complaints of dogs running at large not on leash on rivers mm -hmm. um where you know there's potential for incidents to happen absolutely like, yeah so um, I think the winter we're seeing a lot more dogs out with their owners, um, and then the summer I think it'll go back to maybe more running at larges, more impounds. Awesome. Um, but I, I don't know if the pandemic is going to play a huge role. Okay. I think we've managed to still complete operations and and keep going through uh, our day to day stuff um, safely around it. So that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Next, we have our news reporter, Colton McKillop, interviewing Kristen Smith, UMSU VP Advocacy, on the proposed Build 33 and its possible effects. What do, what would you say, do you think would be the likely practical effect of Bill 33 on students and student unions? And why is UMSU have, a, why do they have opposition or issues with it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a frightening bill because there's no way to really tell what the practical effect will be. It gives a lot of power over to the minister. Um, and and when, when we spoke to Minister Wasco, he said, look, after the bill passes, we can sit down and talk about your views. But the fact of the matter is that it, it is a little bit of an interference in the autonomous gover governance of um, an external organization that is obviously, it's sort of an external party to the university. Even. So it's, we view it as quite invasive. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't want to have to talk about our fees because every fee we charge um, ha has a really powerful effect on students. And when there isn't one, we take responsibility and look at that. So for example, I would be frightened that the Manitoban would be mm -hmm. wanting to get cut. Um, or UMFM or um, Health and Dental. I mean, that's already opt-outable, but you know what I'm saying, right? So it's difficult to tell what the effect will be. Um, it has a lot of similarities to the Student Choice Initiative in Ontario. So um, if it's anything like that, it's probably going to be used uh, as a sort of what I view as a failed attempt to provide student savings when there are much more efficient and less harmful ways to do that. Right. Okay. 
at one point in the UMSU meeting last week, it was mentioned that there was like questions of whether the bill was even legal or credible. And I was wondering if you could expand on that and if there's a chance that you think there, there's a chance to challenge it later on, possibly. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a chance to challenge it later on. Um, that door remains open. Um, when we talk about the credibility or the legality of the bill, um, we're basically drawing an analogy to what happened in Ontario. So yeah. the student degree initiative was, you know, uh, an issue there. Um, in Ontario, courts ruled that the government's actions um, interfered with the autonomous governance of not only the university, but between the university and the third party. So. Um, there are definitely questions surrounding the credibility of the bill, but that would have to be dealt with sort of um, after it passes. Okay, for sure. Um, and then last question on this topic. There was a, uh, it was mentioned that there would be a meeting with um, Owasco, one of the uh, MP or MLAs, I guess, involved in the bill. Um, when, when is that meeting scheduled for? Do you know? Or is that, uh, has that happened yet? Or? It has not happened yet. We reached out twice. Uh, to figure out when that will be scheduled. It was essentially at the end of our last meeting with Minister Wasker about three weeks ago, he uh, invited us for a private bill briefing with him in his office where we could talk about the bill specifics and even present amendments. And he said he would come prepared and he's looking forward to that. We followed up um, about scheduling and we just haven't heard back yet. So, I mean, we're, we're coming up on when the bill's second reading will be. We're coming up on meeting. We can't really to wait around much longer. So um, we will be reaching out again and at that point, pointing out that we might have to go into the direction of a campaign. Um, and we would really appreciate the opportunity to talk it out first. Um, but if they're not going to provide us that opportunity, we have to continue conducting our business in the best interest of students. Okay. Lastly, we have our news reporter, Damien Davis, interviewing Susan Prentice about the SHE session. I'm a professor in the Department of Sociology and Criminology, and I hold the Duff Roblin Professor of Government. Okay, awesome. Um, I had just heard this term, I'm going to be real with you, I think yesterday. Perfect. So I don't know much about it, and I was wondering if you could maybe give me a little bit of a rundown. I can. So it's a, it's a clever little, you know, um, a piece of wording that talks about the disproportionate effect that women are having in Canada because of the recession. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's women in general, and it's mothers in particular. So both, both groups of women, there's a lot of overlap, um, for a bunch of reasons. Um, it's a different kind of an economic recession than other kinds of recessions economists have generally seen. And that's because the employment rate in most recessions is higher for men than it is for women. This is the, it's a crude slice of the economy, but that's how it works. In this economy, um, women tend to do more of the kinds of jobs that have gotten lost during the recession. So restaurants, hotel, um, retail, um, and these jobs have been hard hit they've been slow to recover. And so when we've been tracking who's lost more jobs, women seem to have lost more jobs. Now, this is a roller coaster, of course, because at, you know, at any given moment, Damien, like, is this data from September or is this data from October? And it depends across the country. But in, in general, a 
a strong finding is that women's jobs have been harder hit than men's jobs. And then on top of that, um, because schools closed down in so much of Canada and daycare closed down and it's been opening and closing and like it's a, you know, it's like this all across yeah. the country. Um, uh, women who have the primary responsibility in most heterosexual families for children have been taking on this enormous extra burden of caring for children. And then that's also made it hard for them to do some of their jobs too. So this is what the, the she session is trying to grasp because diagnosing it this way has implications for solutions, right? Um, a lot of, in fact, the federal government's interest in, a, you know, kind of what they call uh, shovel-ready jobs for the future, you know, like a big economic recovery plan. Those historically, you know, by by how we occupationally segregate in Canada, those tend to be more jobs for men. Well, if it's a she session, then we need to do something about women's jobs instead of traditionally masculinized work. So the diagnosis has implications for the prescription. That's yeah. a long one. I uh, I had read an article kind of talking about how um, there had been like a, a he session coined in the back or in the in the past, and um, that uh, women's or I guess not women's but uh, jobs traditionally associated, I yeah, suppose, exactly. it's with, hand. Yeah. yeah, with women yeah. Um, yeah. had had gained the upper hand. And yeah. as far correct me if I'm wrong, is this like the first? I guess maybe not the first. I feel like yeah. there's been inequality in jobs since the beginning of time, but maybe the first time she session has been used? Yes, it is the first time we've talked about a she session because it's the first modern recession, with the first recession that we know about that's had this unusual feature. It's it's completely atypical, it's unexpected, it's mm -hmm. surprised the hell out of economists. So this is the first time we've had a she session because always before recessions have hit men's jobs harder because of the nature of the way the economy works and it's very hard shorthand right jobs traditionally done by men or jobs traditionally associated with men or the occupational segregation of jobs by predominantly men mm -hmm. so it's a women's job and a men's job but it you know the canadian labor market is pretty sex and gender segregated um and it goes without saying that many of those women's jobs are not very well paid um yeah. And even when women and men are doing similar work, there are pay gaps. And Statistics Canada tells us that as recently as 2018, which is the latest data I know of, on average, the average working woman is only earning 87 cents for every dollar the average working man is making. So everybody knows some exceptions, but on average, there's a significant pay gap, 87 cents to the dollar. Jeez. Yeah, I know, eh? <laughs> so sorry that this has endured so long and that those of us who have been fighting to fix this haven't yet been able to make a better dent. Yeah, I mean, that kind of brings me, I guess, to my next question, which was, um, do you think maybe, like, I guess it, it kind of appears on paper that a she session is a result of COVID, but do you think maybe it's kind of always been on the horizon, a potential she session? Oh, what a fascinating question. Let me, think, let me meditate on that for a sec. Well, it's fascinating. So occupational segregation is a permanent feature, has been the permanent feature of the Canadian labor market, mm -hmm. and so has a wage gap, and so has enduring inequality in 
care work, like caring for children and families and caring for elders. So all of the preconditions were in place to be tripped by COVID. Um, so like all of the elements were there. I think that it was easy for employers and um, governments and um, experts of all stripes to just take for granted that women and men do different kinds of work and take on different kinds of responsibilities for family and children. And that governments didn't really have to have good services in place to support um, working families and in particular working mothers. And I'll talk about childcare in a minute. Mm -hmm. But when the she session hits as it did, all of a sudden, all of these taken for granted features that people just didn't even bother problematizing exploded into view and now all of a sudden uh you know decision makers of all stripes are paying attention to these gendered realities which have been problematic for a long time um have been raised by feminists for a long time mm -hmm. and hit different women differently right so then I mean, I'm talking about women in general, but, you know, to be a racialized woman, to be a, a newcomer to Canada, to be a single parent, like for many women, of course, these then compound. So um, all of a sudden, this awareness is surging into public view. And it's I, I'm hoping it's going to change a political and economic conversation in this country. And that's it for this week on Tobin Talks.